0: Hebrews chapter 8 begins this way. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on high on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that the man... (coughs) Have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example, the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second for finding fault with him. He saith, behold, the days come saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day, when I took them out of the hand, took them out of the land to lead them. I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they contained not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and write them into their hearts. And I will be to them a God, And they will be to me a people and they shall not teach every neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more in that he saith a new covenant he hath made for the first old now that which was decayeth and waxed old is already to vanish away. Then, verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant laid around about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod, which budded in the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubim, the glory of the shadow of the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak now particularly. Now these things which were thus ordained, the priests went away into the first tabernacle, accompanying, accomplishing the services of God. But in the second went the high priest alone every year, not without blood, which he offered of himself and for the heirs of his people. The Holy Spirit, the signifying, that which was to the holiest of all, was not yet made manifest Well, as the first tabernacle was standing, which was a figure of the then present and which were offered both the gifts and the sacrifices that could not make him that he did serve perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in the meats and drinks and drivers and washings of the cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the reformation. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling with unclean, sanctifieth to purify of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ whom through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purged your consciousness and dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the new Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And we'll end there. Hopefully you read along. and look over my multiple mistakes. What I want to try and focus on for what may be a very few minutes this morning is this idea of priesthood. You may have noticed we don't call our ministers or pastors in the Baptist church priests, and there's a very good reason for that. A priest is something entirely different than what I am. A priest is something that is an intermediary between people and God. So a priest is someone who you could talk to who would then talk on your behalf to God, someone who would, as we see here laid out in this scripture, who would uh, sacrifice on your behalf, who would try to bridge that gap, if you will, between you and God and many, many other faiths. I'm not saying that to elevate them at all, but many other religions and faiths will have these people who are the step between you and God. And there are reasons for that. And we see in the Old Testament that it was ordained that it would happen this way as well. And it really occurred that way up until the coming of Jesus and his death and resurrection. Because he then becomes the intermediary. He then becomes the high priest, as we see here in the scripture, who is the one who can make that way between us and God open. We no longer need a worldly, as in a fleshly or a person, to be that intermediary because Jesus Christ in his perfection came to be among us, laid his life down, and was a sacrifice for us, and conquered death. And so it's difficult to read, not only because of uh, not really understanding the structure and the importance. Uh, of a priesthood, but also because of my poor reading this morning and other reasons. But what the Hebrew letters is trying to get across is that for thousands of years, we had a very plain way of doing things. We had a priest who would go before God. Some of them got to go uh, into the temple. Others, on occasion, would get to journey into the Holy of Holies, as it's often called, into the very area where God lived. See, this is also a very stark difference between how God lived and worked among his people and how he lives and works among us today. At that time, God's presence dwelled inside that Holy of Holies, and once a year, one person would go inside to make atonement for the sins of the people. But this had to be repeated every year, and it had to be one priest who was chosen, and they had to be pure and clean and have confessed all their sins, or they would enter into the holy presence of God and be struck dead, and that's We have talked about this before. And so the problem with this is it's only temporary and it has to occur over and over and over again until at one time, once and for all, Jesus Christ was able to become like us, to be both God and both man, to be tempted in all ways and to enter into that tabernacle, into that Holy of Holies for the last time to make His blood His own sacrifice that would then cover all of our sins. And so we are redeemed through this. But because of this, we no longer need another person on our behalf to make intercession to God. We no longer need to pray to a person or talk to a person who then offers prayers for us. We no longer need to offer a sacrifice of a living animal or grain or oil, anything of this nature, because once and for all, as this Long passage clarifies, that has been done away with. And there is a new covenant. That new covenant is the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we are able to come, as it says in another place, boldly before the throne of God. And we are able to have direct access to God. We do not need someone to be an intermediary. I can certainly pray on your behalf as a pastor of this church, as a man called by God to be a preacher... I have and will continue to pray for you and with you, but my prayers don't do anything more than what your prayers will do, if that makes sense. You're not asking me on your behalf. I, can't, I don't have any special favor, if you will. I don't have any more access to the living God than you do. And what that means is that because of how all this has changed, that you individually, when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, become a priest. Because you now have access to God. And so what that means is this old system, as it says that we tried to read, has been done away. And behold, the new system has come. And that new system is once you become a believer, once you know him and are known by him, then you have direct access to God. That means that when you speak and pray to God, you're actually praying to God. You don't have to go to anybody else. You don't have to do anything else. You simply have to talk to God. It is a beautiful thing. That's why we saw back in verse 10 of chapter 8 For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel those days, say the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them into their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. You see, this is the, the beauty. God isn't living in the Temple Mount, inside of a small chamber above the Ark of the Covenant anymore. God is living inside of us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we have direct access to Him at any time of the day. We don't have to journey all the way to Jerusalem or somewhere else. We don't have to follow the uh, tent as it was for many years before the temple was built all over and around around the country, following after Him, being just outside, trying to find God's presence because God is with us and God is in us. He has sent His Spirit to speak and testify to our hearts and our minds how we should live and we can know Him. This is amazing and this is actually wonderful. And I just think too often, and I've preached on this topic before, we forget the magnitude and importance of what this really means. Since Christ has offered the perfect sacrifice, we no longer need priests. Instead, we are priests. I'm going to read a variety of verses to follow, and I may move rather quickly. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 through 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so we see that there is nothing more that we need to have access to God. And all of us, as we are saved, have direct access to Him. Matthew 27 and 51 says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Many of you recognize where I plucked that verse from. This is an example of what happened at the moment Christ died. Not only was there a great earthquake and darkness upon the face of the earth, but the temple curtain that separated the very presence of God with the rest of the world. This large, thick, tall curtain... (coughs) Tore from top to bottom this isn't a flimsy curtain of one piece of fabric this was inches of heavy heavy fabric that was designed to not allow anyone to come inside and instantly what we see is the breakdown and now we have access to the god who made us we are able to approach the throne No longer is it done in secret or in hiding. No longer do we have to have priests that go before us and do these things once a year over and over and over again. But we ourselves can enter into the throne room of God and have direct access to him. How many times in our darkest days have we found this to be true or have we forgotten How many times when we have a great need, have we boldly approached the throne of God, remembering that we can simply speak to God and He will hear us? It is great encouragement to us. It is encouraging for us to know that this is the access that we have. The Holy of Holies, where God's presence is or was, is no longer separated. We can approach Him. Now, as I mentioned, we see this phrase, or maybe I didn't mention it, the priesthood of all believers, or the priesthood of the believers. 1 Peter 2 4 through 5 talks about this. It says, As you come in, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen to be precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This letter is written to all believers. And so what the Apostle Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe is trying to tell us and remind us is that we are priests. If you've been saved, you are a priest. That is, you get to have access to the Almighty God. And what is our duty as priests but to offer spiritual sacrifices? And hopefully you were here the last um, Sunday. We talked about being thankful. And a couple uh, days before that, during revival, we talked about offering spiritual works and tried to separate the things of the flesh and the things of the Spirit. I tried to highlight that we can do works that are good works physically, but we must also do works of the Spirit. And these are to be sacrifices. The sacrifice is something that costs you something. We forget this all too often, exactly what a sacrifice is. And so if it says that we are a priest and we are to offer spiritual sacrifices to God, then there are things that we ought to do in response to being made a priest. It goes on, 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen race, race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Maybe that's too quick for us to go over. Let me highlight this again. You are a chosen people. God chose us. Do you feel that way? Do you not feel that way? It's okay if you don't. I mean, it's not okay, but just be honest. Do you feel and realize that God has chosen you? that he has blessed us with, with immense things, that we, those of us who know him and are called according to his purpose, are in fact chosen by God to do his spiritual work. We are a royal priesthood. Would you like to be royalty? Seems nice, doesn't it? We watch it on TV. Of course, forget all the parts where they complain all the time, but we see them all with their wealth and their houses and their mansions. We're royalty, not in that sense, but in the sense that we are a chosen people, that we are God's peculiar people, that he has chosen those of us who know him to be not only um, um, a, a chosen people, but a priesthood that we get to have access to him, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God has selected us and called us out of this world and has chosen us and desires for us to be a different sort of people, a people who have direct access to him, who can rely on him, who can seek him out, who can love him so that he can love us. And he puts his desires into our hearts so that we can follow after him. A royal and a holy priesthood. Why do we get to do all this? What do we get to do? We get to proclaim the excellencies of those who has called us out of darkness into life. You see, this is the most wonderful good news that there possibly is. It's why we call it the gospel and why we call it the good news. Because no longer is there a veil and a single place separating us from God. No longer does our sin separate myself from God anymore. But because he has forgiven me and I have put my faith in him, I can be Right there with him. I don't have to go through anyone else. And that should cause me to share the glory. Of what he has done for me. To spiritually sacrifice things on his behalf. And to proclaim the excellencies of him. Who's called us out of darkness into light. You see again because we don't. We didn't grow up, and none of us here are probably real familiar with this concept of having priests. And so that's well and good, but it makes it hard for us to understand how this completely changed everything. Because for all mankind, even the way God ordained it, and God did ordain priests, there always had to be somebody who went on our behalf. And now you can know God. This is in part, there were many reasons, but in part why the priests and rulers of that day were so angry and furious with Jesus Christ and sought to kill him because he was upsetting the order of things because they were going to be losing power. They were going to be losing prestige. They were going to be losing their place. And rather than realizing, although I think some of them did, Nicodemus being one, that this is the way that God had ordained the future, they fought against it. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation called for his possession. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Revelation 1.6 says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, a priest to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Amen. Later on in that same book, Revelation 5.10, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And so I hope in my poor way I've explained to you a little bit about the priesthood. I've tried to explain why that was important and why it was set in place. And the fact that Jesus Christ came and completely obliterated that concept. And now he being the high priest, the one that sits in the throne room of God is our intermediary. We talk directly to him and he is God as a part of the Trinity of the Godhead. So what are we to do in response to that? As I pointed out already, we should have spiritual sacrifices, We no longer offer animal sacrifices, nor are we called to or asked to. That old has gone, and behold, the new has come. And so how do we sacrifice to God? Well, we've discussed this multiple times, and even recently. Sometimes we have to praise His name. Sometimes we have to be willing to stand before, even when it might cost us something, whether at work or at school or among our family, and verbally give a praise and appropriate honor to God. Let us not fool ourselves. This is probably becoming more and more difficult and will become more and more difficult as the times come. Will you sacrifice and give praise to Him? Or will you accept the glory and honor on your behalf? It's very easy for us to do. Hebrews 13 and 15 says, Through Him, therefore, let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess in glory his name. First Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ. And Philippians four, six says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but on everything by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, continue to make your request known to God. Were you thankful last week? I challenged you the Sunday before to be thankful. I challenge you to be thankful for something spiritual, not just the physical things. It's okay, and rightfully so, to be thankful for our family and our jobs and our friends and the food and the clothing and the house that we have. But we also need to be thankful for the spiritual things that God has given us as well. And all too often that goes by the wayside. I hope you were thankful last week. We talked a few, a few Sundays before that, or a few meetings before that, about doing good works as well, the spiritual works. Jesus did good. He did good works. He both physically healed people, as we talked about last Sunday, and also spiritually healed people. Jesus was about his Father's business, and certainly part of that is to do good to the poor and those who are in need, as we discussed this morning. It is appropriate to help those who physically need it, but it is most important to help those who spiritually need it. Those who are sick in their heart. Those who are dead inside. <coughs> Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. See, God has something for you to do. The first thing for you to ever do is certainly to repent and come to His saving knowledge, to know Him, and to be known by Him. But after that, God leaves us here for a purpose, and that is to fulfill and to do His will through His power. We are to grow in our relationship with Him. Again, as I said, let us try to go back and think about how important this is that I can have direct access to God. You can talk to God. And He will talk back. He will lead you and guide you in the way that you should go. You can have that relationship that starts at the moment that you're saved and continues until you're dead, and then you have a perfect relationship with Him in heaven. But until that time, we have the opportunity now to be doing His good works, to grow with Him, to know Him better, and to go out and to do the things that He would have for us to do. And that looks different for each and every one of us. I cannot tell you, and as I mentioned this before, what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Only God can reveal that to your life. But you must be asking, you must be willing, and you must be listening. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, which promotes their spiritual, I'm sorry, let's do good to all people and especially to those of the household of faith. You see, we are reminded not only are we to do good to others that we don't know. That's one of the ways that we show the world who we is, but especially to those of us who are in faith together. This is vitally important. This is something that this church and this body of believers does well, and I'm very thankful for that. But let us go on to do even better. Let us continue to lift each other up. Let us continue to pray for each other. Let us continue to call and write letters and send text messages and encourage one another all the more as the days grow near. We are also called to be living sacrifices. We see this in Romans chapter 12. We are called to give up our lives. And in fact, if necessary, our very bodies. There are mornings. Well, I didn't really plan this part on purpose this way. There's mornings we don't want to be here. There's mornings it hurts to be here. (laughs) This isn't about me. But there are mornings that we need to be here. Because we're to sacrifice. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Not yet I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life of which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is there possibly a higher calling in this life? Beyond anything that you could accomplish? Beyond any great gift that you could have? beyond any wealth that you could accumulate, beyond any position of power. I'd rather be known as a child of God than anything else. And that is because, as a child, I can simply speak to him. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to go to anybody. I can just simply lift him up. I'm sorry if I feel like I'm repeating that, but I want to make sure that we get just how important this is. Lastly, those of us who know him and are called according to his purpose, those of us who have been reunited with him, who have been made that holy priesthood, we are reminded that we are to be obedient to whatever it is that he calls for us to do. It's not always easy, it's not always fun, but it's always right. He shows us what to do. 1 Peter, 2 through, 1 Peter 2 and 11 says, Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of His visitation. We are reminded through this and many other scriptures that we are to continually be obedient We are also reminded that this isn't really our home. That's what a sojourner is someone who is temporarily somewhere and working. We don't belong here. We shouldn't look too much like we do. Maybe we should ask ourselves how much we look like everyone else. But we need to be obedient and we need to be about our Father's business. So let me try and come to a conclusion. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are to minister daily unto God directly. We do that through good works, primarily spiritual works. We do that through offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. We do that through obedience, and we do that by giving thanks, especially public thanks, whether that's in a large group or just individually to someone else. Under the old old Mosaic law that God gave, we no longer have a need for a priest in that sense because Jesus has taken the place as our high priest. And because He is God, we can pray directly to Him. We are reminded from Psalms, For thou desirest not sacrifices or else I would give them. Though delight not in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God are a broken broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, will thou not despise. This is a beautiful passage that reminds us exactly what it is that God demands of us. He demands our brokenness. Why does God have to break us? Well, because as people we have a strong will to do whatever we want to. And in my experience, I've learned to know that I can't always trust what I want, can I? And if you haven't learned it yet, you will. Your will and your desire, the things that you think your heart wants, is usually not what God wants. What He wants is for us to be broken before Him, to be yielding, to be willing. To be used of him however he wants. He does not despise these things. And I'll just add that we certainly can't do it perfectly. But we certainly should try. Perhaps we don't think of ourselves as priests very often. But perhaps we should. Perhaps we need to remember more often that we are priests. That the actions and activities that we do should be holy. we must work to remind ourselves of all of these things i want to close by reading hebrews 10 19 through 25 it's really hard to know where to cut off in hebrews because so much of hebrews is building to this point is explaining all of this and so if you want to study more i encourage you to study the book of hebrews that will take you back to the old testament to understand the model of priests and so much, but Hebrews will reveal a lot. And once you understand the context from which this is being written, it will mean immensely more. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. Actually, let me begin with verse 18. Now, where are the remissions? Now, where... Let me start over, 18... Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us. Through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Therefore remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful look for judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to enter boldly before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice that He made. You can do that at your seat. You can do that while you're driving. You can do that in your bed. You can do that at any moment of any time, in any place, as long as you are alive. And we may instantly be before Him, worshiping, sacrificing, being in His presence, asking Him for things, asking Him, what he has for us to do, all of these things. Because of this new and living way, because of Christ's sacrifice, we can approach Jesus Christ. And so we are reminded and encouraged that we should do that today. And to echo what the psalmist said, for those who need to come the first time, how do you come? broken and contrite. You come before an all-living God leaving everything that you have held up before Him behind. And this can be really, really hard. It can be very, very difficult to come before God realizing that you must take all the desires of the things that you have in your life, all the things that you want, all the things that you think you know are right and lay them down before Him and say, God, I come before you, a broken man or woman, conflicted and convicted over all that i've done wrong and i come before you and i seek your forgiveness but that is exactly what is required for you to become a priest before the almighty god because let me be abundantly clear and the scripture is on this too and i didn't write it down so you have to trust me the only alternative to being one of gods is to be his enemy there's no in between Many people go through this life thinking, well, I am hope that I'm good enough, or I'm going to try to do this, or I'll figure it out at the end. But listen to me, brothers and sisters, young and old. There is no in-between. You were either born of the Spirit and belong to an almighty God and are a priest before Him forever, or you are His enemy And already condemned to a life that is separate from Him. The Spirit does not live in you, it does not guide you, and you do not have access to it. And so, until you follow the advice and come before Him, not with burnt offerings, but the sacrifice that God accepts is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And when you come truly before Him, He will not despise these things. He will look down from on high. He will make you whole and make you a priest so that you can have access to him.